0: Welcome to this episode of bioethics for the people. Today, we're doing a special episode, which we're calling hot takes, meaning that there's something new or exciting or interesting in the news. And we're just going to tell you a little bit about that thing.
1: Yeah, we're going to have a hot take on it as it were. So don't hold us to anything we say. We, we might not have all the facts straight. We're just shooting from the hip here, but we're going to give you a little background information on this topic and some of the ethics issues that arise. So, so Tyler, what is our topic for today?
0: So today we're talking about vaccine trials. A couple of episodes ago, we talked to Mark Navin, who's an expert on vaccine hesitancy. And recently in the news, there's been a lot of talk or discussion about the COVID vaccine trials that are underway and that are going on. That's our topic today.
1: And Tyler, have you ever yourself been a part of a research trial, like as a participant?
0: One time I volunteered because the money was good, or at least I thought that it was going to be Mm -hmm. good. And so I went through a huge process of evaluation and had a full physical examination. And then at the end of the day, they told me that one of my levels of like, I can't remember what it was exactly my potassium or something was just barely outside of the the range that they found acceptable. And so I got, um, I wasn't, I wasn't permitted to go forward with it. And so it was really concerning to me because I felt like I was a healthy individual and uh, all of a sudden for medical reasons, I was disallowed from participating. But they kept reassuring me and reassuring me that you know it's not a not an issue, it's not a concern. I, there's nothing wrong with me. It just um, for whatever reason I couldn't volunteer.
1: Weird. Do you not eat enough bananas, or what's with those?
0: I don't know. I can't, and I actually can't even remember if it was like potassium or magnesium mm-hmm. or something like that. But I was very concerned, and they spent a lot of time trying to reassure me that I was medically just fine, just not what they were looking for in guinea (laughs) pigs. Yeah, just not a
1: good guinea pig, got it, got it.
0: How about you? Have you ever done trials or volunteered for studies?
1: I have, so I've I've been a participant in two medical research trials. The first, which was sort of a huge one, at least in my life, um, I was in a study for four years Um, for a drug that actually now I'm taking. So I was a person who qualified for a study because of a chronic illness that I had. They wanted to test out a new drug. And I'd love to say I did this for absolutely altruistic reasons, which is why we hope people enter research trials. But the truth was I was a grad student and I was super poor. So my health insurance told me I, I wouldn't qualify for any more reimbursement on drugs. And so I entered a clinical trial just with the hope of getting a medication that would be helpful for my chronic illness. And uh, there was actually a placebo arm on it. So there was a good chance that I was getting nothing at all, which is a little bit scary. So I did that one all through for about four years into phase four of the trial. And we'll talk about what that means. But perhaps the more relevant one I did was actually for the common cold. So when I was in college, uh, our university was enrolling students who would be infected with the common cold so that they could test out a treatment for the common cold and it meant that i got put up in a hotel for a week this was over spring break they paid me i can't even remember now i want to say like five thousand dollars which when you're you know an undergraduate student seemed like a heck of a lot of money so i was like down give me the cold i'll sit in this hotel for a week order room service fun times by all in both of those it was a money thing which is exactly not what we want people to do (laughs)
0: Right. That's exactly what we don't want people to be motivated by in doing this, right? And, and actually, the second worst reason for people to volunteer is your other reason, which is, I hope that this actually benefits me, right? Mm-hmm. So both of those reasons are not ideal. And so, so if those are two reasons that are not great, what, why do we want people or what should be the motivation for?
1: I mean, I think we always say, like, altruism. We hope people do this because they want to benefit, not themselves, but future people. So people who will one day use, you know, a COVID vaccine. We want people who just say, COVID is terrible. I want to do my part to help. And I actually do think a lot of people enter clinical research trials with that motivation. It's just not the only motivation.
0: You mentioned earlier about different phases. And so um, I think we should talk about that because I think we hear phase one, phase two, phase three, in the news and in the media and i'm not sure all of our listeners would know what that is so can you explain those briefly what are the different phases and what are they trying to do
1: so all research trials have about five phases and it's important to note that even before you start any clinical trial there has to be some sort of scientific reason why you think the drug that you're testing is going to work so we don't just shoot people up with different things and kind of see what happens Um, So usually you'll have something like animal trials. So before you put anything in a human, there has to be a really good reason why you think it would work. Okay. So that's kind of the preclinical stuff. Phase, what we call zero, which is a weird, it's, it's weird to start with phase zero, but nevertheless, phase zero is a very small number of people that you're giving a drug to just to see how it's processed inside the human body. So that phase is usually a very small number of people, like 10 to 15 people. Okay, so once you decide that it is processed inside the body the way you think it is, you move on to phase one. So phase one of a drug trial aims to discover the best dosage for people. So now you're talking 15 to 30 people are being tested. You give some people a high dose of a drug, some people low dose, and you look at the different side effects. So the aim here is to get as high of a dose as you can without having really negative side effects. So this phase, phase one is all about safety and not efficacy of the drugs. So you're not even looking to see if it works, you're just looking to see that it doesn't have terrible side effects, that it's more or less safe. Phase two, you're assessing whether the drug is safe on a larger number of people, often the people who have the disease that you're treating for or you're looking for a treatment for and to see if the drug works. In that phase, you have slightly more people. You're looking for both safety and efficacy. And if it looks like that the drug does work, you move on to phase three. In phase three, you are enrolling like 100 people or more to compare this new drug that you're testing to the standard of care drug. So most um, diseases out there will have some kind of treatment that is standard. It might not be great, but it's at least what a normal doctor would prescribe. So then you randomize people. You give some people the drug that's already out there, and then people get your drug in a different arm of the study. Sometimes you'll even have a placebo arm, so you might be getting nothing at all. There's all sorts of ethics about that that I don't know that we need to get into, but if you've been enrolled in a like blinded study where there's different arms, you were in phase three. And then phase four, that's when the drug has already been approved by the FDA, and there are working it out with a larger population. So you're seeing how it affects kind of the population at large in in phase four. So right now with COVID-19 trials, a lot of those are already in phase three, which seems promising, right?
0: So if they've already gone through zero, phase one, phase two, that means that they are safe? We can assume that?
1: I think we can. Yeah, it seems, well, I say we don't assume anything until the FDA weighs in. That's my good answer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair, fair we hope that it's going to be deemed to be safe by the fda and so right now there there have been a couple of news articles about something called challenge trials what does that mean
1: so a challenge trial is unique because it's actually testing new drugs against other new drugs and the way you do this so we don't have a COVID vaccine yet once it gets through more of these phases or it's like really close to being approved, we might actually want to know which of these vaccines is better than the other. Because as a lot of people have probably heard, there's multiple companies across the world trying to work at this vaccine at the same time. So if they all finish up around the same time, which God willing, that would be awesome, then we might want to know which of them is actually the best. And what's unique about challenge trials is that They actually will give participants the disease or illness or infection that they're studying and then test these new drugs against it. So in this case, we'd give a group of people COVID-19, we'd infect them with COVID-19, and then we'd test two or three different vaccines to see which one of them is the most effective. So does that sound uh, like there might be any ethics issues for you, Tyler? (laughs)
0: Yeah, I I have some questions now. Are these challenge trials new? Is this a new thing that they did for COVID or have they been doing these before?
1: No, so challenge trials have been done before. Um, So typically they're done, actually they're often done for vaccines. So if you need to test out a drug, um, there are multiple drugs for some sort of new virus. We did it with Zika. So when we were trying to figure out which vaccine would work well for Zika, there was a challenge trial for that. So this is not new and actually gets done a lot with influenza too, I believe, because there's different strains of influenza and we have to figure out which of the vaccines is going to work best for the strain that we're trying to prevent.
0: I guess one of the big concerns right off the bat is about risk, right? So if we're giving these people not a what what we call attenuated or a form of the virus that is easily taken care of with the immune system, like polio, for example, but if we're giving them COVID-19, aren't they going to be infectious and spread this in their community? That's exactly what we don't want to happen, right?
1: Oh, exactly. So the group of researchers in the UK who are doing this say that they're gonna totally isolate the volunteers. So they'll put them in special isolation rooms. They won't let them be in contact with anybody. So they're just kind of monitoring them. Um, so hopefully they've taken all the precautions to make sure that the people they deliberately infect aren't then going out to the community and infecting other people.
0: So would you volunteer to be in this challenge trial?
1: I would not, (laughs) (laughs) but, but I have a good excuse because I have a weakened immune system. So I actually wouldn't qualify for this challenge trial. Um, So what they want in the challenge trial is young, healthy volunteers. So people who are the least likely to actually die from COVID already, that's going to be their sample or their target. And right now, so there's actually a third party group called One Day Sooner, who just was curious who would actually sign up for these challenge trials and then would pass names along to the researchers who wanted to do them. They have already signed up 40,000 people across the globe. So there are plenty of people who wanna be part of a challenge trial. That doesn't seem to be the issue.
0: And so these people would be obviously putting their own health at risk, but I guess we we hope that it's for altruistic reasons that they're not being paid an enormous amount of money to do this that they're really, truly wanting to further the development of this vaccine for the benefit of everyone.
1: I mean, I would hope that's why they're doing it. And I, my guess is the vast majority, that would be true. The tricky part of this, and really a lot of drug trials, is that what counts as good compensation, so you don't want people to do it for free, right? Some people will have to, you know, if they're working, they can't work while they do this because they're going to have to be isolated. So you want to compensate them in some way but you don't want to compensate them so much that people would say, ah, geez, I know it's risky, but I really need that money. We don't want people to enter for the money. Part of that is also then we're only enrolling people who are poor, right? People who really Uh need the money. And so we don't want to have trials just where we experiment on poor people. That seems unjust, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, and I think it reminds me of kind of all of the other healthcare ethics questions about how much incentive or coercion or manipulation people you know, go through. So f- for example, one of the other kind of classic bioethics questions is about organ donation and about whether somebody should, should or could or what would be the ramifications of somebody who is paid to donate a kidney. And obviously it's kind of similar questions about who would be willing to do that and put their own life at risk, um, not for altruistic reasons or for for reasons that would be, you know, based in the betterment of society or helping your fellow man, but purely because they don't have any other financial resources or avenues of resources to, to take care of themselves.
1: Right. And and ironically, we don't let people sell their organs. <laughs> so right. but we do let people enter research trials and we do pay them to do it. So mm-hmm. uh, on the one, you know, in the case of organ donation, we've said you're not allowed to take compensation but for these trials even really risky ones we say you know people might deserve to be compensated for them just Mm -hmm. we just don't want to have what we call undue influence so the money shouldn't influence people to enter the trial who might not otherwise have just so they can make money yeah but that's a fine line right
0: yeah for sure like how how much incentive is acceptable incentive that doesn't become over incentive or coercion Mm -hmm. what do you think about uh where the vaccine development is right now?
1: I mean, it seems to me that a bunch of companies, you know, and and what do I know? But at least from the news reports, it sounds like some of these companies are pretty darn close. And actually not long ago, the World Health Organization met to talk about challenge trials because they saw these researchers getting so close. And so this big panel of people met, they actually did issue a report on guidelines for challenge trials for COVID-19. But interesting enough, the group could not come to a consensus on whether or not it was right to proceed or ethical to proceed with human challenge trials. So the who, so who couldn't decide, um, and the main reason they couldn't decide is because at the moment there's no rescue therapy for COVID, meaning we for other things um, maybe the flu. Other kinds of things we vaccinate for. So people do die of the flu, but if they, presumably, if they were hospitalized and getting the best treatment, we could prevent most deaths. That's not necessarily true of COVID. Lots of people in the hospital, in the ICU, are dying. And, you know, we did just hear that remdesivir um, got FDA approval. So there is at least one drug right now that Mm -hmm. presumably could be helpful, but it's not necessarily saving everyone's life. So is it ethical to give somebody an infection that we can't a- adequately treat at the moment? That adds a whole nother layer.
0: Yeah, and even though they would recruit young, healthy individuals who have the lowest risk, it doesn't mean there's no risk. And the risk is not only just contracting and having a bad course of it, the risk up includes up to death, right? I actually just re- recently read an article about uh, what they're calling long haul COVID survivors where they they have an acute COVID infection, but then they're dealing with the ramifications and really bizarre like autoimmune issues like lupus and diabetes brought on because of their infection with with COVID. So yeah, there's a lot of of open questions about what the actual risk would be.
1: Right, so how can people adequately give their informed consent if they don't, if they don't, if we don't, as the medical community, we don't know what the long-term consequences of getting COVID are. That makes it really complicated. We'll put up a bunch of links to more reading on this topic, and we'll put up a comment section on our website. So if you have an opinion, if you would enroll in these trials, if you think they should or should not be going on, feel free to leave a comment.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Bioethics for the People. Special thanks to Chris Wright for writing and performing our theme music. For show notes, visit bioethicsforthepeople.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.
1: Hot takes.